Okay. Okay, today's reading comes from Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community broke camp and set out from the Sin Desert to continue the journey as the Lord commanded. They set up their camp at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people argued with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were very thirsty for water there, and they complained to Moses, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with these, pe- these people? They are getting ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some Israel's, of Israel's elders with you. Take in your hand the shepherd's rod that you used to strike the Nile River, and go. I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Hit the rock, water will come out of it, and the people will be able to drink. Moses did so, and while so while Israel's elders watched, he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites argued with and tested the Lord, asking, "Is the Lord really with us or not?" Thank you. I should have made a note. Um, to mention that when it says the desert of sin, that's not like a uh, metaphor. That's, that's just a name that is coincidental that our English word sin rolls up with that. It's just the name of the place. <laughs> okay, bud. Can you go? So this particular story... This is a kind of fun and wacky story, but I, before we get to that fun and wacky story, I want to tell you another story that takes place a few books later in the book of Numbers, chapter 20, which I'm sure all of you have read and memorized by this point. Yeah. (laughs) So we're 40 years after what just took place in this passage today. Forty years later, the Hebrew people have been wandering around the desert for 40 years. I mean, wandering is probably the wrong word. They're not, like, lost. They're just living as nomadic people in the wilderness, as people in the uh, Arabian Peninsula, the Sinai Peninsula do, uh, even to this day. They had escaped Egypt from slavery. They'd been living as nomads in the desert for 40 years And followed after Moses and his siblings, uh, Aaron and Miriam. Aaron was the priest. He's the one, um, you know, he's got the stuff in the Ark of the Covenant and all that stuff. His children are the ones that go on to be on all the chief priests for the rest of time. Miriam is the prophet of the three of them. She takes the words of God and gives it to the people in a way that they can understand and um, accept. Um, She's kind of the secret protagonist of the whole book of Exodus. She doesn't get the credit she deserves. Um, She's the one who's responsible for guiding baby Moses down the river to Pharaoh's daughter so that he could live and be raised and end up being the savior. After they cross the Red Sea and they have this victory over Pharaoh, she writes this worship song on the other side called the Song of the Sea, which is probably the oldest recorded thing in the entire Bible. 
Uh, she's the one on the ground helping the people to connect to God. She doesn't get as much screen time as Moses and Aaron because, you know, patriarchy, but she is really the glue that holds this whole family together, the glue that holds the whole Hebrew people in the desert together. So after 40 years of them being nomads in the desert, we read this passage from Numbers chapter 20. Now, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Sin. We're back there again. And they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried, and there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. It's kind of a stark transition, isn't it? Miriam dies, there's no water. It's the same sentence, even. There's not even punctuation there. The ancient rabbis also noticed that stark combination, and they thought to themselves, this must be connected in some way, shape, or form. Miriam dies, the water is gone. So they came up with this beautifully strange story to explain what was happening here. Now, keep in mind, this is what's known as Midrash, which I mean, you could probably think of it as religious fan fiction. There are stories that we come up with to help illuminate the the text. They're not meant to be taken literally. They are stories. We don't have this concept as much in Christianity, and I wish we did, because there's so much depth that could come out of these sorts of stories. So the rabbis told this story that went like this, that way back in Exodus, in the, the passage that we read, the people cried out to Moses. They said, oh, we have got no water. What are we going to do? And God told Moses, take your staff and strike this rock. Water will gush out. But in reality, the water came out of that rock, not because Moses was so high and holy and not because the people really deserved it, but because of Miriam. The water that was the blessing in the desert was because of Miriam because of her faithfulness, because of her goodness, her righteousness, her connection to God. The entire Israelite people were blessed with water because of Miriam. And so as they moved on from that place, the rock followed them like a, like a loyal puppy. So they'd move from one place to another, and this giant rock filled with holes like pumice would roll along behind them, And then when they landed in a place and decided to stay for a while, it would sink down into the sand. And then anytime somebody from the the Hebrew tribes needed water, they would approach Miriam's well and they would ask it for water and it would give them water. So no matter where they went, they had water because of this traveling well that came with them because of a blessing, because of Miriam. Now, some of the later rabbis interpreted that less literally, and they said, well, it wasn't like really a rolling stone that came with them everywhere. That's weird. It was actually this underground lake in the limestone beneath the, the sands that followed Miriam wherever she went. And anywhere she put down her staff, that's where the water was, and the people could draw it up out of the ground. And no matter where they went, it followed her. She who guided baby Moses through the waters of the Nile wrote the famous Song of the Sea. It was because of her faithfulness that God gave the people the gift of fresh water. So for 40 years, the people wandered the Sinai Desert and along with them, potentially a giant porous boulder like a faithful puppy. (laughs) 
And Miriam was the cause of that fresh water. Now, do you have people like that in your life? People who don't get the credit that they deserve, but really are the glue that holds the whole family together, the whole workplace together, the whole neighborhood together. They are the source of living water in whatever context you find yourselves in. You might be that person, actually, in your own family. But I would guess that you have had somebody like that in your life. And the thing about these sorts of people is that no one realizes just how much they're holding everything together until they're not there to do it anymore. And whether that's emotionally or practically, just things get dry. We didn't realize that Miriam was the source of the water until Miriam was gone and the water went with her. We all take for granted that mom is going to host Christmas again this year or that grandpa knows how to fix my lawnmower when it dies or that your spouse knows how to take care of your household taxes. This is actually kind of an energy-saving shortcut that your brains have evolved to do. We're a social species. We depend on each other. Humans don't do well on their own. And so in order to save space in this brain that we have, we treat each other like external hard drives where I don't need to know how to cook because this person in my life knows how to cook and I know as long as they're with me, then I don't need to learn how to do it. Right? I don't need to learn all the passwords because this person in my life knows them all. You've got something like that in your life, right? But what happens when that person is gone? What happens when the well dries up? What do we do when we're stuck in the desert with no water? Well, the Hebrew people had not had to think about this for 40 years. Miriam had just become a staple in their lives, quietly providing everything that they needed. But then suddenly she was gone. And the people did what the people always do in times of grief, and they projected that grief onto Moses as anger. And they said, aren't you supposed to be leading us, Moses? 40 years of this stuff, and you still can't figure it out? Go find water. And Moses, once again, 40 years later, goes to God and says, what am I going to do? What am I supposed to do? And God says to Moses, See that rock in the middle of the the group of people? I want you to go to that rock and speak to it, and it will gush forth water. Go to that rock and speak to it. You notice something different about that? The last time God told him to do something to a rock, he told him to strike it with his staff. Sort of an act of power, don't you think? Break this with your big manly arms. And then water will come out for everyone. But we're not in the old normal anymore. Miriam is gone. Things are different. The whole community has changed. And so we have to approach our problems differently now. We can't just approach them the way we used to. But Moses isn't ready to move on to the new normal. Moses is still stuck in the old normal, thinking he can act in the old ways and still get the same results. So Moses strikes the rock with his staff. It actually takes two times for water to come out of it. Because Moses just wasn't ready to move on. He wasn't ready for the new normal. What fell? Oh, that fell. Okay, good. Edges of chaos. 
So it's this act of disobedience that makes Moses not eligible to go into the promised land, which on paper seems really harsh. And I've always thought, that's really harsh, God. The guy was faithful to you for all his life. He made one mistake, and you won't let him go into the promised land. But really what's at the heart of this is Moses can't imagine the new normal. Moses is stuck in the old way. He could not imagine a new world without his sister Miriam. And I think this resonates with me and probably with some of you because Americans are really bad at grieving, especially grieving after death. Because most people don't die in homes anymore like they used to, surrounded by family. We die in sanitized hospitals where we don't have to be present for all of the messy details. And then somebody else handles it. We embalm the bodies and we deck them out with makeup so that everyone looks at them and says, oh, it looks like they're just sleeping. We're so denying of death that we we fear it. We run away from it. And then even at the services, people will say, oh, don't cry because they're in a better place now. It's okay. Be happy for the time you had with them. We're so quick to move through the grief and get back to the happy. We don't know how to deal with grief. We don't know how to live with grief. We don't know how to give it the space to move and to to do its work. Because friends, grief is simply love that has lost the object of that love. It is love that used to have uh, something to absorb it. And that thing is now gone and it's reverberating emptily through the room and you don't know what to do with yourself anymore. So what we need to learn to do instead is to learn how to take that love that no longer has an object, to point it in on ourselves, to find that place within us where that person still lives, to learn how to love that part that they have left in us and allow that grief to do its work in us. I I love the way that the modern Jews handle this, is that when a person, a loved one dies, they they try to get the, the body buried quickly And then for the next seven days, they sit Shiva in their room. Shiva means seven. And they stay in their house and they focus on grief. They let all of the feelings just do whatever they're going to do for seven days. And the community loves them. They come there and they share stories of the loved one and they share lots and lots of casseroles so that the family doesn't have to worry about anything for a week and they can just allow that cleansing fire of grief to move through them. And then after that, every year on the anniversary of that person's death, they light a candle, a special candle in their honor, and they take time out of their day to remember that person. Every year on the anniversary of their death, they share stories of that person They remember the ways that that person is still alive in them, the memories they have, the ways that they've changed them. And in this way, they keep their departed loved ones close, recognizing the ways that they still exist within the living, finding strength to move on into the ever-changing new normal. I like that. (laughs) And I wish that we honored our loved ones like that instead of just being so scared of grief that we need to move quickly through it and back into happiness. So I hope that you'll indulge me here for a few moments. Take some time before communion to do just that. 
I want you to think of somebody who has been a Miriam-like figure for you, for your family, for your neighborhood, for your workplace, wherever it is that you gather. Somebody who has been the connective tissue between everyone. Somebody who has been the source of living water. Somebody for whom when they were gone, suddenly everything went dry and you had to learn how to live into a new normal. And I want you to share something about that person, somebody whose life and legacy we can honor today. And as we do, I'd like to adapt a recent ritual which has entered into Jewish Passover Seder meals over the last 35 years. Typically, they leave out a a chalice of wine for Elijah. But over the past 30-some years, people have started leaving out another, uh, another cup for Miriam and filling that cup with water and taking time during that Passover meal to remember those people who have been the source of living water for us in our communities. So as we share these people, their names, their legacy, I'm going to add a little bit of water to this cup. So would anybody like to share from where you are? For Richard will. Maybe I can even come there. <laughs> I haven't used a mic or anything in, I don't know, years, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. It's my brother Al, six years older than me, who uh, passed away uh, three years ago. And I must say he's been a big brother to me since practically the time I, I was born. Uh, My mother uh, had my uh, sister, or one of my two sisters, care for me uh, until she she got married and uh, left the house when I was about six. From then on, my brother took over her responsibilities. He uh, babysat. He uh, t- then taught me how to weight lift and <laughs> um, taught me how to fish, <laughs> how to cr- go crabbing, took me to see my uh, Uncle Bob, the uh, NYPD pol- uh, Lake Policeman, Prospect Park, uh, where we would go fishing on one of the sister islands. Um, a few years ago, well, there's, I don't know how long you want this to be, huh? Not much longer. Okay, all right. Uh, then I'll, uh, a few years ago, I had a, a dream uh, of my brother. And uh, kind of before I woke up in the morning, and he appears to me in this dream, and he gives me this overwhelming uh, hug of love that was phenomenal. Uh, I experienced a love from him that I never experienced from anyone else in in my entire life. 
And uh, a few days ago, um, once again, before I wake up, he appears to me in, in this uh, dr dream again. <laughs> Although, <laughs> he, he's put on a lot of weight since I <laughs> saw, saw him <laughs> last. <laughs> but uh, he's hugging me over and over again. And it, it, it's just wonderful. Thank you. It's a beautiful dream. <laughs> you can share from your seats if you'd like. Oh. Just speak up. I don't necessarily have like a lot of words to share, but I would definitely love to um, just honor my mom who passed away five years ago. I want to honor Austin Spence. He was a student in Pottstown. Unfortunately, sadly, took his own life, whether intentional or unintentional. There's still questions. Um, when I stood at his memorial service, at his funeral, and I looked at the line of students stretching back from the parlor all the way back, through the parking lot down into the next street, I couldn't help but think that he had made a hideous mistake and did not realize how many people absolutely loved him dearly. And many of us, we're, we're still, we're not over it. We're not done. It's never done. I'm going to lift up my grandmother. She's the family matriarch, made sure I went to church. <laughs> My Aunt Carol. Um, she's the reason I have a, an imagination. And in spite of me being an adult when she passed away, uh, having grandkids and obviously its own kids, um, she unapologetically told everyone I was her favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so I miss her terribly. <laughs> My mom, she was the glue in our family. A very strong woman. My mother, who raised three fiercely independent daughters, <laughs> who, who taught us right from wrong, with my father, who um, taught us how to love everyone as a child of God, um, who fought with the electric company during World War II because they were going to shut off our electric, and she had a husband serving overseas, and how dare they do that? And so they did not turn off our electric. Um, and she had just a fighting spirit, and um, I'm eternally grateful. I have to say one more. My great-grandmother who celebrated me being left-handed. 
<laughs> Great grandmother celebrated you being left handed. We can no. rejoice in that. Final one for my dear, uh, my dear friend uh, Regina, who was the uh, office manager at uh, Community UCC, my first church. Um, she was. Uh, she told the search committee not to hire me because she said, "You all are so dysfunctional." And you're going to take a kid right out of seminary, you're going to ruin him. He's going to quit the ministry because of you people. She was the sassiest person I've ever met. And so she took it on herself to protect me from every little bit of drama that would have unnecessarily found its way to my door and took care of people and built a hedge of protection around me in my first couple of years showed me the way in Berks County because it is a different world out there. Um, and she herself was an implant, um, it had come there years earlier. Um, she was only in her 50s and had a, uh, a rare genetic form of cancer that she had fought when she was a teenager and that uh, ultimately took her life far too soon. And uh, completely changed the entire landscape of that church, of that office, of the day-to-day -day life. Um, I mean, just her personality not being there anymore. She told me, watch her today. So, can we pray together? <laughs> 